This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. In this last episode of 2022, we're covering how families and individuals with TSC can find help beyond that immediate medical care that your loved one needs. Because for families who have individuals with disabilities, there's a myriad of other issues, both daily and lifelong, for something small like, where can we go to get a haircut? To something big like, who will care for my loved one after I'm gone? These are not easy decisions and often require tough conversations with family members. But there are people out there to help you through these tough decisions and ensure that your loved one can have the highest quality of life possible. My two guests this week are both people who have dedicated their lives to supporting individuals and families with disabilities. My first guest is someone who is very familiar to the TSC community, as she has graciously donated her time and expertise at both regional and world TSC conferences, and has also been featured on several webinars. Kelly Piacenti is the head of Special Care at Mass Mutual, a program that provides access to information and resources to families with dependents of any age who have special needs. Here's my conversation with Kelly. So I'm now joined by Kelly Piacenti. Kelly is the head of special care at Mass Mutual. Kelly, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Great, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. So to start, can you just provide our listeners an overview of what special care is and the types of services they provide to families with special needs? Special care is an organization that was created by Mass Mutual Insurance Company to really help educate families we were serving that had dependents with special needs. It wasn't just for children. It was for anyone that had a special need or needed extra care in providing for their financial future. So this organization was created to assist those families. It wasn't there to provide anything other than education when it first started. And what we do is we help educate families like mine about caring for someone with special needs. There are about 500 advisors across Mass Mutual that are specially trained to work with families with special needs dependents. The really cool thing about this program program is about 86% of those advisors are parents and or caregivers or siblings of a person with a special need. So they get it and they know that this is unique. And what we do is we try to get families to think about planning versus not including that person in special needs in their plan, which they did many years ago. We no longer do that. So this organization provides educational information to not only our families, but nonprofits that we work with across the country. Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of got involved in this line of work? Sure. I mean, I started probably about 20 years ago. I was working for MetLife at the time. I had been with MetLife for several years and I gave birth to a son that suffocated in the birthing process and as a result sustained a massive brain injury and he could only smile. It was a long journey for my family, but along the way, I came across Kari and people at tuber sclerosis and And what we were seeing is that a lot of the seizures, because Nick had over 250 seizures a day, were the same medication that people with TS had. They were taking the same type of experimental medication, experimental drugs. So we became, and I personally became very involved because I was running MetLife's program for people with special needs. So when I heard about TS and I got involved with them, I found it to be 
very, very interesting because I had it in my own life as well as my professional life. So I got involved in running this organization and running the one at MetLife because of my son. I didn't start out to be involved in the special needs community, but that's where I landed. And about seven years ago, Mass Mutual took over the department that I was in at MetLife. And I came to Mass Mutual to run their special care program, which is the same type of program that provides education to families. So I got involved because of my son. He could only smile. Unfortunately, he passed away about two years ago, but lived at home with us, total care, and needed lots of help and support. So along the way, many of the nonprofits and nonprofits we work with were really great in helping us and providing us with a plan because it's not just about financial, it's about all the supports that are out there for families. So we work closely with nonprofits because they're part of the plan. How do you bring your own personal experiences into those conversations with other parents who are trying to think through this stuff for the first time? Well, you know, it's really overwhelming. And even though I do it professionally, I tell families every day, take little bites. This is a lot. And I think when you're speaking to another family member, it's easier. I understand when someone talks to me about, you know what, Kelly, my whole day was controlling his seizures, or I was at a physician all day because we couldn't get the seizures under control, or he had to have surgery because of his seizures. I get it. And you can relate to it. I don't think that just because you have a special needs child or adult person you're caring for makes you better at this. But I think that those of us that live it, it's a different journey. We get it. You could talk to me about things that happen with your child that maybe somebody outside of the community would be like, wow, I don't know how you do that. And someone in the community would say, that's what I do every day. So I feel like there's a synergy when there's other family members around you because I'm not taken back by anything anyone's going to say to me. And I try to let families know that I get it. I've lived it. I've been there. I've been through that. Maybe not everything, because I hate to hear, oh, I understand. I do the same thing. No one does the same thing. There is no cookie cutter approach to this. But knowing other family members and having the ability to really relate, I think is important to this community. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that that empathy and that ability to recognize that everybody does have their own unique journey when dealing with the challenges that come with, you know, having a family member who has special needs, but but also giving them the space to deal with that reality in real time. I often say that when my son was diagnosed, I remember the physician sitting across from us and the doctor telling us all the terrible things that were going to occur. And I really didn't remember what he said because I could just remember the buzzing of the lights above my head because I was so out of it and so overwhelmed by what they were telling me and the amount of care that was going to be ahead of us. And not that it was too much or I didn't want to do it. It was just, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And I think a lot of our families go through that. It's very, very difficult to get these, you know, someone coming to you and giving you this diagnosis. You think of a child, you think of an adult child as they're going to marry, they're going to do all these great things. And a lot of people with disabilities and IDD go on to do wonderful things. But then there is a core group, you know, that my son was part of that group that, you know, some of those things were taken away immediately. So you're trying to deal with, you know, the loss of something that he might have had, but also looking at the future and really being afraid, like, this is a lot. Can I do it? So I get it when I speak to younger 
family members or even older family members when they say, Kelly, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I can do this. You can do it. You just got to take little bites because we have no choice, right? I mean, you have to do it. But I think that a lot of families are overwhelmed. So it's really just taking little steps and breathing because there are a group of us that do it. It's not easy, but we definitely do it. Families, when dealing with this sort of diagnosis, after they've dealt with the immediate medical needs that they need to take care of for their loved one, what are the next sorts of things they need to be thinking about in terms of the long-term care for their loved one? The family dynamics are, are difficult with caring for someone with special needs. I think as parents and caregivers, we always think that if we have other children, they're going to step in. What I tell people every day is the most disturbing calls I get are from siblings, that the parents never had the conversation with them. They never said, if something happens to me, I want you to take care of your brother. And I don't think they have that conversation. They just assume, you know what, your older brother is going to step in. It's not always the case. The sibling has been around this their whole life. And a lot of them don't want to be a care provider. They may want to be involved in the person's life, which we often see, but that doesn't mean living with them or living with their significant other and taking on the same role that we did as caregivers and parents. It's difficult to think of not being here, but at some point in time, we have to face reality. We're not going to live forever. And if I wasn't to come home tomorrow, who's going to step in? And that's a difficult decision for our family. So I think once you get that diagnosis, and some of us never get the full diagnosis, and we just know that the support and services are going to have to be there in the future, we need to start thinking about who's going to step in and who's going to pay for this. Is it just government benefits or do we need other money involved here? I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult to think in those terms. But I think what we saw with COVID was that and I'm in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. And, you know, we had it across the country, but we were hit very hard in our area. And what we were seeing, which was the most disturbing to me, were many families that, you know, we lost a young caregiver, a mom in her 40s or 30s or a dad that was, you know, not even 50 years old that were taking care of somebody with a special need. And it was very difficult to get someone in there that kind of had the roadmap of how do I take care of this person or really any plan in place at all. They were young. They didn't think it was necessary. They figured they had time. But in many of these cases, we saw that there were no other caregivers. There was no plan in place. So after COVID, we see a little bit more of a sense of urgency, but it does happen and it comes upon you quickly. So we look at families and say, you need some sort of plan, a plan of who's going to step in at minimum. That's the first step. There are all sorts of misconceptions when it comes to long-term planning, financial planning, legal guardianship planning. And, the, you know, you talked about that first one that, oh, I'll have plenty of time to plan. What about on the opposite end of the spectrum, people who maybe have older adult children and who may think, oh, it's too late to put a plan in place? It's never too late. You know, that's one thing that I have to tell families every day because we do get the call from an elderly person going in a nursing home. But hey, wait a minute, has her 45 year old son with a special need at home with her? What do we do? So it's never too late. There are organizations that can help families if there's nobody else because we get that call as well. 
I don't have any siblings. He doesn't have any siblings. I don't have a husband. You know, I don't have a wife who steps in. And there are organizations, there are nonprofits that can help with that, that can guide the family, talk to them about resources and information, talk to them about housing. Those are some of the things that our families need. So there is a solution for everyone. I know that everyone thinks you need lots of money to do a plan. You really don't. I mean, a letter of intent is something I've spoken about for years that's not legally binding, but it's kind of the hopes, the wishes, and the dreams of the family. They have been upheld in a court of law to say, hey, this is what the family wanted. That doesn't cost anything. Doesn't take the place of your will. Doesn't take the place of your vital documents. But if you've done nothing else, it says, hey, if I pass away, make sure that my son doesn't go to this person that was never involved in his life. Or make sure that my son goes with this person because they care for him and they get it and they can take care of him in the way that I'm used to. So that's something that families can do. I mean, an elderly person, they need a plan more than anybody else, right? Because we know that the inevitable is there and that if they don't make a plan, someone in the state is going to make a plan for them. And is that really what they want? This is somebody that typically has lived at home with an elderly caregiver. And if the elderly caregiver passes away, this person is now being put into a system that they're not familiar with. So we try to suggest that look at housing now or look at a plan, because if anything happens, that plan can be put in place. You talk about the letter of intent as sort of a baseline recording of your hopes and wishes for your loved one. Can you talk a little bit about what sorts of things need to be included in that letter of intent? We have a form. It's something that a family member can do on their own. But my own son's was in a notebook. We didn't have forms years ago. So it started out to me as like a letter to the babysitter that you would leave if you had smaller children. And it would say, do this, don't do this, make sure he goes here. So a letter of intent can talk about medication. It can talk about religion. It can talk about housing. It can talk about family dynamics. It can talk about anything that you want. What I suggest is that you start talking about some of the different medications that the person's been on. My son was on the ketogenic diet twice. Did it work? What didn't work? All the different medications that he had with his seizures, what worked, what didn't work. So that if I wasn't there and someone picked this piece of paper up or this notebook, they could say, you know what? Capra doesn't work with him, but Lamictal does. I mean, there were things like that, that I had to put in my son's letter of intent, because if I wasn't around, who's going to remember what I did 10 years ago? And it's something that you can update on a daily basis, a monthly basis, an annual basis, every 10 year basis. It's as the need arises within that person's care. My son had a lot of medical issues. So his letter of intent was pretty intense because things were always changing. Some people, not a lot changes, right? Maybe the people around them change, but not with the medical. But that can go in the letter of intent as well. You can talk about things that they like to do, things that they absolutely hate to do. One of the things that I always spoke about was, you know, my son hated his teeth being brushed with cold water. It was a trigger for him. It had to be warm water. Who would know that? He was nonverbal. He wasn't able to tell anyone that. He didn't like chocolate when he could eat. He hated it, which is bizarre, but he didn't like chocolate. But I mean, those are some of the things that were in the letter of intent because he wasn't able to speak. So I was speaking for him. If the person you're caring for is able to speak, 
Let them write the letter of intent with you. Let them tell you, hey, I hate eating broccoli. I don't want to ever do that again. I like to go out to dinner once a week with my sister or a friend from school or a friend from work. I want to do this every week. How would we know that if we stepped into this person's shoes and said, I'm taking care of him now? I hate going up escalators. How would we know that until we had a situation? I went to these doctors. They were fantastic. I went to this other group of doctors. I wouldn't bring my dog to them. Those are the things that go into the letter of intent. So you can start it in a format that's you know online. You can do it in a notebook. You can just write down some of these things that you hope will happen when you're no longer around or that you really want to happen when you're no longer around. I mean, we have families that talk about religion. We have families that talk about marriage. We have families that talk about going on these grand trips once a year. What's ever important to the individual should really be put in this letter of intent. I think it's a great tool. It doesn't cost anything. And it really gives someone the roadmap to this person if something happens to you. So if somebody is listening to this episode and wants support from a special care team member to start thinking through these conversations that they need to have and what plans they need to get in place, how would they go about getting in contact with someone at special care and and working through that process? They can go right to the specialcare.com or they can come to me, Kelly Piacenti at massmutual.com. And I'm always willing to help a family that needs some information. And keep in mind that Our planners are specially trained to work with these families, but they're also about trying to figure out what the plan is. So when we talk about planning for the future, what does that mean? Everybody's plan is different. Some families think, you know what, I have no money and I don't need a special needs trust and this is not something I'm ready to do. And that's fine. There are ways in which to do it that you don't have to do it right now. You can have information put in your will that if anything happens to me, before you disperse anything to my son, my daughter, my sister, whoever it may be, you need to set up a special needs trust because We want to preserve government benefits for this person. One of the ways to get in touch with our advisors is send us a note. Tell us where you're located locally so that we can get somebody that's familiar with where you live in Massachusetts or familiar with where you are in California. And they live there themselves. So they are strategically placed around the country so that they understand what resources are out there. I'm on the East Coast. I'm not going to talk to you about a regional center, but certainly if you're on the West Coast, it's a big deal. So we try to have advisors in every state that know about local resources and information. Then they're going to sit down with a family and talk about what exactly are you looking to leave this person or provide for. When we talk about, you know, the future, a lot of things could be covered by government benefits. But what about the things that are not covered by government benefits? Do you have maybe a life insurance policy at work? Do you have your own life insurance? Do you want to get life insurance to leave in a special needs trust? Because many of our families create a legacy when they're long gone. People don't have money at hand right now to throw into a trust, but most of the families that we deal with want to leave this individual money like the rest of their children. So instead of disinheriting, disowning, because you're worried about government benefits, you can have a special needs trust created that you can leave that person money and that money can be utilized for quality of life for that person to make their life better. So there is a way in which to do it. And our advisors can sit down and talk to you about planning for the future. 
doesn't mean that you're going to need a special needs trust. Not everyone does, but they're going to talk to them about some of the things that are important to them and what they'd like to do for the person in the future. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys work together with other nonprofits to help provide support? Absolutely. I mean, what we do is we provide educational information and we're available as a resource across the country. So if I have a family in Atlanta that needs a local resource on housing or a local attorney that provides information on special needs or could draft a special needs trust, I can give them resources and information. We work with attorney groups that only specialize in this area. They don't work for Mass Mutual. None of the individuals that we give the information out about work for Mass Mutual. There are attorneys that you can call and you can see if it's a good fit for you, but they are attorneys that we know only work with our population, which is important so that you get the right guidance and information about preserving government benefits and creating these documents. We provide additional resources if a family needs a support group or an aging caregiver group, or, you know, I have a son that was just diagnosed, where do I go? We give them that nonprofit information. So we meet families every day. And one of the questions when we're sitting down with any family to plan is, do you have a dependent or anyone you're caring for that may have a special need? And families will say, well, why do you need to know that? And then we trained our all of our advisors, not just the 500 I have, but the 6,000 plus we have to say, well, if you do, there's a different type of planning that has to happen for that person. You can't leave them outright as a beneficiary. You have to consider some of the other options about special needs trusts or documents or guardianship. We let them know that there's some other conversation that needs to be had. So that's what we do with families. We educate them about this planning process and Listen, Dan, it's not for everyone. And I always say that. And when someone tells you everyone in this arena needs a special needs trust, it's not true. We have a lot of people with disabilities that hold great jobs. They don't need a special needs trust. What do they need it for? They're making a lot of money. They're doing great. There's no reason for it. I tell my families, plan for the worst, expect the best. But planning is is great and having all of your plans up in your head don't do anyone any good you really have to put them on paper and go through it and see if it's an option for you or see if it's something you want to consider but our advisors will sit down with families and speak to them not only about the person with special needs but their whole family so it's about holistic planning it's not just about one person it's about the family in general what's your one piece of advice for a parent a caregiver as they like come to terms with having these tough conversations and making these hard plans? We suggest a family meeting, which even for myself, I mean, I do this for a living. My son was really, really involved. And we had to sit down with my three other children, especially my older two. One was getting is getting ready to get married and say, you know, I love that you want to be part of your brother's life. But at the end of the day, I didn't want my children to do what my husband and I had done. I didn't think it was fair to them. I didn't think it was fair to their significant others. And I didn't want them to, to have to feel like they had to take over the care for my son. So it was a tough conversation because they would say to me, you know, I want to take him in my house and I'm going to take care of him. And it really wasn't what we wanted for him. I wanted him to be able to live, 
you know, maybe a little bit independently, but with supports. But I also didn't want my other children to take this on. It was our decision as a family, but we had to have that conversation. And I'll tell you, it's it's a difficult conversation. We had to speak to my sister about stepping in and helping care for him, but I didn't want her to do the finances because she has a shopping problem. And I didn't, you know, feel comfortable leaving her in charge of his trust or his finances. And that's a tough conversation. I mean, it's funny when you say it, but when you're looking at someone and saying, you're good enough to do all the dirty work and take care of him, but you're not good enough to handle the money, it's difficult. But when you're doing it, you have to think what's best. And and it was really about what's best for Nicholas. It wasn't about what's best for me or for my sister or the other children. It's what's best for Nicholas. Nicholas you know, being able to be taken care of independently of his siblings was what we wanted. Financially, I didn't want him to be a burden on anyone. So I wanted to make sure that the money was there if they needed to pay for something for him. But I also wanted him to be eligible for government benefits so that he could preserve that money in the trust and use it for all the other things that we wanted him to be able to have access to. So I would say, you know, think about the family meeting, but you need to do it because whether it's about care or about where someone's going to live or what involvement or what role you want them to play in the person's life, you need to say it now because when you pass away or you're no longer there, it's even a more difficult conversation because everybody's trying to pick up the pieces. If you have a conversation now, you're letting them know, hey, this is how I feel. This is what I want when I'm no longer here or the person with the disability. Let them say, hey, I don't want to live with my sister. She's difficult and I don't want to live with her. And I've heard that in family meetings and I kind of have to chuckle at that because we as caregivers want to make all these decisions. And we have a lot of people with disabilities that want to make their own decisions and you should allow them to do it. But I say, do the family meeting, do it at Thanksgiving, you know, afterwards, start talking about, hey, we need to have a meeting. We need to sit down. We need to speak as a family about maybe future care or what happens when we're not here. So I think you do need to bring it up. It's just at what point, you know, families are together for holidays not really a holiday conversation, but you could say at some point, you know, it's great. We're all here today. At some point we need to get together, whether it's a zoom call or whether it's, you know, after a holiday or when we're, we're together for, you know, the summer, we need to have this conversation, but that's to me is so important that the families do it. I think that's great advice to end on. And I, I love that notion of in all of these tough conversations, continuing to center the loved one as the middle, because it's ultimately all of these conversations are about making sure that regardless of what happens, that they're taken care of. Kelly, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Thank you for the incredible support you continue to give to TSC families across the country. And thank you for just being such a a wealth of knowledge and a great partner throughout the years. No, I can't thank you enough. And, And truly, TSC has been wonderful for us as well. We have all learned so much and your families are so warm and embracing and we couldn't do enough for them. So whatever you need, if you need support, if you guys need a family, if you meet a family that needs help, we're always here to help them. And that's really what it's about. This is truly a great partnership. So thank you guys as well. And thank you for always coming to us. 
My thanks again to Kelly for taking time to talk with me. She is truly a champion to the TSC community. And just the way she uses her own experience with her son to empathize with those affected with disabilities is just so inspiring to me. We are so grateful for our partnership with Mass Mutual. And I encourage anyone listening right now to really reach out to Kelly if you need any support with legal issues or guardianship planning. And she can definitely put you in touch with one of her agents who can help guide you through that process. My next guest is Megan Cortens, Executive Director of Our Place, an online resource and community for families with disabilities. Megan is striving to build a Yelp for the disability community, a one-stop shop for families to find support and resources for everything from how to apply for waivers to how to find adaptive swim lessons in their community. Here's my conversation with Megan. So we're now joined by Megan Corgins, Executive Director of Our Place. Megan, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I guess to start, what is Our Place? So Our Place was started to kind of be a community for what we say, all of those who love and care about the disability community. We realize there's a bunch of people who have a disability that live in the United States, but it's not just the person that has the disability. It's the parents and the employer and the siblings and the neighbor and so much more. So that's when we developed this community for all of those people who are impacted by disability to come and share their experiences, learn from others, find services, and so much more through every stage of life. And what sort of inspired the creation of this site and this community? I myself have two siblings with disabilities and saw my parents go through all the IEP stuff and theirs is a fairly rare disability, very similar to TSC. And how do you find a therapist? or help. So that was a big piece of it. And then all throughout my schooling, I worked with the disability classrooms. And there was one mom who was a substitute teacher, single mom to and the only way she could accommodate her son's care was to be a substitute. As we were coming up with a concept for join our place, I was I kept thinking about her. I'm like, what happened to her? She didn't know about waivers. How did she find services and all that kind of stuff? And so that really helped inspire the idea as well. What are some of those examples of services, waivers, forms that families with children with disabilities have to deal with and may not know what they're doing? Oh my gosh, it's so much. I hear all loved ones say to me, you just don't know what you don't know. And that's actually what, when it comes to our content, we title everything. You don't know what you don't know. It's the waiver application process. When can you get on the wait list? What are other financial opportunities that are available to me outside of the waiver? Because there are a lot of that as well. And then I think the number one issue that we come across is after these kids age out of that high school programs, everyone's like done with them. It's like, figure it out. And that should just not be the case. There's a ton of programs and offerings that are available to those families. And we really want to help them find those and let them know what those options are. And how do you go about finding these different service providers? We really count on our users. We always say at, you know, when you join our place, you guys and these families, they're the experts. Like they have been through this. They are the ones that are living it. And so we give the opportunity to, if you 
liked a restaurant that worked well for your child or a barber to refer that business to us so we can let other families access that information. We started the Medicaid map with actually just pulling a list of Medicaid providers, which took a tremendous amount of digging page after page after page. I mean, anything on a government website is kind of difficult to to find. So we really rely on our members of our community, the businesses in our communities, as well as just digging and finding the resources that we can find online. So it's called Our Places. So when you join Our Place, you get access to the Our Places map. And right now it is auto-populated with Medicaid providers. What it does is you turn on your location notifications, you filter on accepting new patients, the waiver that you have, so care source or whatever that may be, and then what service you need. So the big one is dentists. We see a lot of people need dentists and it will pull up all the dentists that accept Medicaid in your area. We heavily started in Georgia and we're expanding outside of Georgia. So if you don't see it on the map, you actually have the ability to reach out to our team and you say, what are your three big needs? And we'll go find it for you and send it to you. The site also includes a knowledge center with a lot of short videos that you star in. What are some examples of topics that are covered in these videos? Ooh, some of my favorites. We have an accountant who is amazing that works with all 50 states on what you can deduct from your taxes as you care for a child with disabilities. It's a lot of things that you would not think about. Financial assistance, so whether it comes to taxes, how to apply for waiver. We do a tremendous amount on IEPs from a 360 degree view. So the attorney, the teacher, the advocate, employment is some stuff that we cover. We just did one on travel with a travel agent who actually is available on our experts page to book travel for families who have kids with disabilities and it's free. She is a free service and she is fantastic. And then also making families aware of organizations on the specific disability. So we've done some interviews with the TSC Alliance for anybody who's impacted by TSC to let them know about you guys. It's it's just kind of a brief overview of everything we try to cover. And all of that content is based on the needs that we see coming in. So it's all tailored to what we're hearing from our members they need to know about. How do you find these experts? How are they involved in the site? How do they provide support to the families? One of our goals is to make options affordable to families. I heard so many stories of families who had to pay an attorney $700 an hour to get through the waiver application process. And that's amazing that some people can do that. And there's a lot of people that can't. We interview our experts, but then it's also available to book time with them for some one-on-one assistance. So we have a woman who can walk you through the waiver application process. She's done it herself. She's helped a lot of families. And I think she charges 50 bucks. And we have options for attorneys and all that stuff. And they're going to have attorney fees, but some people just have a hard time finding attorneys. So our experts are really there to provide that quick one-on-one assistance, especially if you're in an emergency. Some of them are free, like the travel agent, her services are free. We're going to be adding a teacher. She's going to be free to talk through IEPs with parents. And it's, like I said, just there to provide some quick one-on-one assistance if parents need it. What are some other things that you've learned that has surprised you as you've gone about compiling these resources? Oh, it's something new every day. I feel like there's over 20,000 day and residential programs that just 
accept waiver alone in the United States. I always feel like parents are surprised to hear that because they can't find them. <laughs> our me Medicaid map with our places, we look at all 50 states. There's over 400,000 Medicaid providers. Also was surprised about that because where do you find those people? I just feel always so inspired talking to families about how much, like we were saying, they want to have the ability to help other families. And there's not a ton of ways to be able to do that. That's why I love your guys' organization, that you're able to help TSC families help other TSC families. And I think that's so unique. And I, I wish there was just more of that out there. I'm always surprised by the lack of resources in that manner. What do you think the barriers are to families to like find these resources on their own? From what I've seen, a lot of organizations are chunked out to stage of life, which can be really great and also can be really hard to navigate. So you're using, you know, this place for the diagnosis stage and this place for the school age and everything. I also think it's a lack of awareness by people that these families are coming in contact with. I have an 18-month-old who went to his checkup the other day and they do an autism screening. And I said to the doctor, so what do you do for families if they get an autism diagnosis? And they didn't have anything. And I'm going, so your doctor is giving you an autism diagnosis for your child, but doesn't really know where to send them next. And I think you see that a lot in the school system too. You know, lack of transition coordinators. So much is changing all the time in IEPs. How are you keeping the special education teachers up to date on all that kind of stuff? So I think it's just a combination of a lot of things. The site does require users to register and pay a small fee to get access to that, you know, one-on-one -on -one support and that Medicaid map and some of the other features. How do the registration fees support our place and help the site continue to grow and expand? We are putting a lot of technology behind our concept. Uh, one big component is making it mobile friendly. And some of that money allows us to be able to develop an awesome product. But the also thing about it is we never want cost to be a barrier for anybody that wants to utilize our place. So we actually take a portion of what we do get for the people who are able to afford it and put that back into scholarships and grants for people who are unable to afford it. It gives us the ability to grow and provide a platform that is really going to benefit these families. We actually have a lot more coming in the development stages. But again, we're a socially conscious business. And so to be able to take some of that money and give it back to people who might not be able to afford it is a huge part of our mission. What is your vision for the future of this community? And what other types of resources are you hoping to be able to add on and provide to families as you grow? We we have big visions. We have big, big plans, I would say, with our place. So from a content perspective, I, I'm getting that from, from you guys and your listeners and our members. I mean, what do you guys want to hear from? Where are you guys having issues? And that's where I'll go with my content. So that's kind of what we do from our Knowledge Center. We try to release something on a weekly basis. As far as the technology aspect, there's a lot of stuff coming with the Our Places map.
roadmap that we're going to develop out. Like I said, it's Medicaid providers right now. But what I like to tell families is when the development's complete, it's going to be like Yelp for the disability community. So whether you are traveling to a different state or you're in your state yourself and you need a barber or a restaurant or a swim school or a karate studio, you'll be able to look at that all based on locations and filters and it will have the ability to rate and review it by parents themselves. We feel like it will give them a way to feel like there are services in their community because there definitely is. We just need to kind of consolidate it and put it in one place. As the development of that continues too, helping families find programs for that transition phase is also a piece of that. If you want your child to be in a residential facility, what are the options? Day programs, what are those options? Respite care, all of that are things that we're hoping to develop out kind of within that component of our technology. Oh, and then the other exciting thing, it's almost complete. We have developed out a social media platform just for the disability community. So it has way more safe, secure parameters around it, but has the ability for people to be friends, message, share photos, all of that kind of stuff. But if somebody puts a picture of their credit card on it, the public cannot access it. (laughs) So that's another cool component that we have coming to. Finally, how can families find out more and register to join Our Place? So just head over to join Our Place. We call it Our Place because we want it to be exclusively the place for families with disabilities as you join your members. So that's where we came up with Join Our Place for our website. And there's just a register button. There's a little video that walks you through the website, kind of some components that you get. You will pick either that $10 a month or you can pay $100 annually. And that's when you go right into what are your three biggest needs and you will get a response on those three biggest needs. If we don't have it, I'll let you know that I'm going to find it. And if we do, we'll send you some helpful links. And it really, we hope you feel like you're part of what we call the Our Place family from the beginning. Well, Megan, thank you so much for sharing about Our Place and your vision for this amazing resource for the disability community. And, you know, we are looking forward to continuing to partner with you in the future to generate more resources and film more videos as we move forward. Yes, definitely. More and more content to help families and working together, we're going to be able to reach more people. So thank you so much for having me. We appreciate it. My thanks again to Megan for partnering with the TSC Alliance to develop resources for the disability community. To learn more about Our Place, visit joinourplace.com. That will do it for this episode of TSC Now. I hope you and yours have a restful holiday and a great start to 2023. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.